Can you guys hear me? Oh, okay. You guys are moving a little slow, huh? So am I. So am I. My name, um, for those of you who do not know me, is Kenny Hall. And I've been given the honor and the privilege of um, bringing the message to you today. Am I good? Okay. I know. This is not what you expected when you came here, I'm, I'm pretty sure, to see the guy bringing a message, adjusting himself in front of the entire congregation. Um, I'm hoping that we will go up from here. Um, I'm sure we will. But um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much to all of you who prayed for me. Um, it is truly humbling to be a part of a body like this, um, to know that you are lifted up and prayed for, that you are loved. Um, because I must tell you that when Pastor asked me to do this, every ounce of me wanted to scream the word no like nobody's business. But God, um, through the Holy Spirit, convinced me that this is something um, that he would have for me. And that is the thing about our God, is that no matter what we think at the end of the day, he has a plan for us, a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope in the future. And so on that we stand. And so I stand before you now, humbled. And you will hear that word more than a couple of times. But as I'm humbled, I'm also encouraged. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, Lord, to come before you as a body. Um, Father, we cannot even begin to express um, the gratitude, the love that we have for you, um, for all that you do, for the things you've sacrificed, um, for the blood of your son. Um, those things mean so much. And yet as we are, as broken as we are, as sinful as we are, we cannot give you anything but our thanks and our praise. So God, as we come before you today, we just hope and pray that what we do here is honorable unto you. That we can give you worship that resonates. That all that we are would be exposed, that our hearts would be open to what you would have for us, Lord. That we would be obedient, Father. That we would be repentant when we're not. And Lord, we just pray that as we move forth in this day, that we would walk with you, that we would dwell with you, and that we would seek you in all that we do. Father, I ask that you would be with me, that you would move me out of your way, that you would allow me to speak the words that you would have for your people, that you would pierce their hearts and open them to what you would have in regards to an individualized message. But most importantly, Lord, we pray that we would just be vessels for you. That as we come here today, it would just feed us, fuel us, give us power, courage, strength to move out into a community that's so filled with darkness. We thank you, Father. We love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ with great thanksgiving. Amen. Today, we are actually going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to recap a little bit 
It's been about two weeks since we've been in First Peter, and I don't know about you, but my memory's not that great. Call it old age, call it what you will, but sometimes I just need a little bit of a refresher. Um, I have a couple of people to thank individually um, because they've spoken into my life this week. One person is here and one person is not. The person who is here is Sue Omer. Sue said to me on Friday as I gave her the title of my message, she said, um, you know, Kenny, sometimes it's good to have some flexibility because God may change your heart on what your message is. And I said, I don't think that's going to happen, Sue, but I appreciate the thought. And what happened was that God changed my heart on the message that I was going to be bringing. Out here on time. Thank you. Okay, part two. Here we go. You're going to try to do this again. Um, but as I was saying, um, Sue spoke into my life this week in regards to telling me that God is sovereign, and she didn't even know she was doing it. Last week, um, during Easter service, Pastor said that the best laid plans always kind of fall aside, um, at least his. And so this week, I was in the process of putting together everything. I had my PowerPoint, my little handy-dandy thumb drive. It was right in front of me. And I got up this morning, and I looked at my handy-dandy thumb drive, and there was nothing on it. That was no PowerPoint. And so, again, God's plans. I would just like to um, maybe recap First Peter a little bit for those of you who are not familiar with it, and again, for people like me who need to have a better understanding of it. And as I do that, I want to tell you folks that I'm a Peter guy. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that when Pastor first went into First Peter, what was that, like a year ago maybe? Uh, I'm not quite sure how long ago that was. But when Pastor first went into First Peter, what, what we basically did during the first Bible community is talk about Peter and some of the, the things that he struggled with. And what we saw during that Bible community was is that some people were Peter people, meaning that they could relate very much to Peter, and some people weren't, meaning that they were more or less John folk in regards to the apostles. And what I found myself doing at that point was thinking, I don't want to relate to Peter. Peter seemed pretty messed up. And messed up is a very liberal term, meaning that he struggled with a whole lot of things. But as I got into First Peter and I started to look at it, what I found was, was that Peter was a man who was very much passionate about God. In Jesus. 
In fact, Peter was so passionate about God and Jesus that he felt like he was on this teeter. He would take one step forward and then one step back. One step forward and then one step back. And he did this until the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then what happened? What happened when the Holy Spirit descended upon him was he was a man on fire for Jesus, for the gospel. And so I look at myself and I see myself very much in Peter. I see myself taking one step forward and I see myself taking one step back. And I see myself taking one step forward, and I see myself taking one step back. And then I asked myself as I was going through this and I was looking at Peter's life, Peter had an excuse. He did not have the Holy Spirit. As I look in the mirror and ask myself that question, why am I doing that? I realized that I have no excuse. And so I stand before you again humbled because I am a Peter guy. And what we find uh, about Peter as we look at 1 Peter is that Peter has been through a lot. He has sinned against God, sinned against Jesus. He has seen Jesus crucified. He has seen Jesus risen. He has felt the power of the Holy Spirit come upon him. He has seen 3,000, 3,000 people converted at once. What an incredible sight. And so as this man has gotten deeper and deeper into his ministry for Jesus, what we find is we find a man who is very much, very much on fire for making sure that other people have the same opportunities that he had. And so what we find in First Peter is that Peter is actually at a given point writing this letter to the exiles that are in Asia Minor, that, are, that was at that point part of the Roman Empire. And we see that these exiles, these churches, were actually in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethnia. And what these folks are suffering from right now is persecution. And as we see them struggling with this, Peter is trying to encourage them to hold on to what he's learned. And what Peter has learned is that there is nothing in this life that matters more than Christ. No matter what you are going through, hold on to Christ. Because Christ will get you through. No matter if you're struggling at home. No matter if your parents are coming down on you. No matter if you just can't connect to the people around you. Hold on to Christ. And so as Peter is saying these things as he's trying to get these folks to understand in his letter that Christ is the center of all things, should be the foundation, should be the rock in which their faith is built on. We also see that he is not only talking to them, but he is talking to us as believers as well. As we move forward and we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, Pastor did an excellent job of kind of giving us a layout of what exactly the first three verses are saying. And basically they're saying, you have the Holy Spirit. As God's church, you should not be dealing with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or evil speaking. 
these are not things that God has given you. You know better. And as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, if you're going to cry, folks, if you're going to whine and complain, if you're going to be selfish and have a pity party for yourself, then do it as you seek the word of God. That's what Peter is saying in verse 3. Because one of the things that we find ourselves doing as people a lot of times, as Jesus' feet, is that we don't always generate the light that we should. And verse 3 says it all. It says, if indeed you have tasted that God is glorious, we've tasted it. We understand it. We know it. But do we always show it and reflect it? And that leads us into verse 4. Verse 4 says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Excuse me, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. There's a little girl by the name of Susan. And Susan is actually um, a Muslim young lady um, who basically in 2010 had the opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. And in the process of being exposed to the gospel, what Susan found was that her father did not appreciate that, not one little bit. So as Susan changed her faith, her father found out about it and proceeded to put her in the closet. And there she stayed for six months. Susan was not allowed to have any water. And her brother would sneak her as much as he could under the door of the closet. But sometimes the dirt would get in the way. And so all she would receive at the end of the day was mud. Her brother became disturbed when one day she was unresponsive. And as he called to her, she would not say anything. There was not a knock. There was not a breath. Ultimately, her brother ran to the next-door neighbor and told him that Susan was in the closet and she was not being responsive. Even though his father threatened to kill him if he were to say anything to anybody. The neighbor came over to the house. They were able to get Susan some help, but it wasn't soon enough. She lost the use of her legs um, through this process. But she also had some internal issues as well. When she was able to get help um, and she started her process of healing, 
she was asked, is there anything that she wanted that she would change about her situation? And she said, no. She said, the only things that I would want now, moving forward, is the ability to walk, to to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And the other thing I would want is my father's salvation. As Peter is reaching out to these churches in Asia Minor, what we find is, is that he is hoping and praying that these folks have the same type of mentality. No one wants to face oppression. No one wants to be persecuted. But his point is, he's seen the power of the gospel. He's seen what God can do in the situation. Could we ask for anything less of ourselves than to give him everything that we are? And so, as this little girl was willing to turn her cheek, so Peter has asked these churches to do the same. He's asked them to set aside all the malice and the animosity that they have, not only towards each other, but towards those who are persecuting them as well. Pastor said two weeks ago that Peter is a fan of word pictures. And he absolutely is. And so as we move from verse 3 to verse 4, what we find is that Peter uses milk and infants in the first three verses to illustrate his point. And so in the next four, what he uses to illustrate his point is stone. Verse 4 reads, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, What we find is that this verse actually incorporates Psalms 118. And we also find that the he is a living stone rejected by men portion of it, um, but elected by God as a precious cornerstone, is something that was foretold in 118. Because Psalms 118 is actually one of the most Christocentric verses that is in the Psalms. And what you find, if, you, if you've never read Psalm 18, 118, then I suggest that you do it. I encourage that you do it. Because what you find in Psalms 118 is, is that it really does proclaim the coming of Jesus. And it talks about his ministry. It also gives a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to him as well. Because he is the precious cornerstone in God's eyes. But in a man's eyes, he's rejected and he's set aside. The ironic part about his rejection and being set aside by the builders as referred to in Psalms 118 verse 22, the ironic part is as they reject him and set him aside, so God has set him aside as well. But for two totally different reasons. Jesus is a cornerstone. He is our foundation stone. And if you know anything about building, and I am not proclaiming that I do at all. In fact, Braun will tell you, McDermott will tell you, I know nothing, nothing about building whatsoever. But as we look at um, Psalms 118, what we find is is that um, there is other things going on as well. 
Because as we get into verse 4, we find that what Peter is talking about is enduring the life that we have as sheep being led to slaughter in the world with nothing but our faith alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to get us through it. And while the world hates us, it spits on us, um, it curses us, Peter says that I can do all things because I know Jesus paid the price for me. And as he died on the cross for my sins and ascended into heaven, it was also the coming again of my ability to rest in him. For as he proclaimed that he would be risen on the third day, and the analogy that Peter gave us as his body being a temple, and that if you tear this temple down, I will rise it on the third day, the realization of that gives us, the believers in him, the opportunity to share in the kingdom that his father had established in heaven. And so while yet we were enemies of Christ, Christ died for us. And so what he did in his death was he laid the foundation. He became the cornerstone for the temple that would ultimately come when he came back. One of the things that we find about Christ is that Christ is also, as he is a cornerstone, a foundation stone, he is also a stumbling stone. And as we look at verses 7 and 8, of First Peter chapter 2, we see that not only is he that foundation in which all things are built upon because life has a tendency to forget the most important things about itself. Like, for instance, the fact that the men who killed Christ, who set him aside, when they did that, they thought that they were dealing with the problem. They thought that when they killed Christ, Christ would just go away. But what they did not know, what they refused to acknowledge, was that when they killed Christ, they actually set in motion the plan that God had for all of us at a given point in time. And by killing Christ, because he was not, quote-unquote, the king that they were looking for, he, they actually played right into the plan that God had for us and our salvation. And one of the things that we find in that plan is that when Christ died, he took our sins with him. And so when God looks at us, he looks at Christ. We're able to enter into the presence of God because of what Christ has done. And so if we are to be evaluated, then praise God that we are evaluated not by our holiness, but by the holiness that was imparted upon us by Christ. And the amazing part of this is, is that when they pierced his side, when they nailed him to the cross, they thought for sure that as his blood ran out of his, his body, as he lie broken upon that tree, that the problem would be solved. Thank God it wasn't. The other thing that's so ironic about this piece is that as these men did what they did, not only did they set in motion the, the opportunity for us to go into right relationship with God, but they actually set in motion the opportunity for them to go into right relationship with God as well. 
As Pastor said two weeks ago, a sin is a sin. There are no greater sins. (laughs) There are no lesser sins. A sin is a sin. And one of the other things that we find um, as we look at these verses is that we have an opportunity (laughs) um, to learn from Christ. Because if a sin is a sin and he was killed by these men, but he can forgive these men, then can we not get to the point where we forgive the people around us? Can we not get to a point where we love folks so much that we're willing to give them everything that we have? That we're willing to even sacrifice our own lives if that's what it meant. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so as we are now priests in accordance to Second Psalms, I mean uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. As we are now priests, what we find is that the only things that we can offer up to God is our faith in Christ. That's the only thing that we can have. It's so simple, it's not even funny. We have to invest in Christ. We have to hold on to Christ. And when things are getting tough, we have to ask for more. Because the only thing that we have at the end of the day is Jesus as much as we would think that our folks would be there for us, our loved ones, as it were, they're human. I had a situation this week with one of my daughters, and um, as parents will tell you, things sometimes get intense as your kids are growing up. And as kids, you will say the same thing to your parents, I'm pretty sure. And what we found um, this week is that one of my daughters had an issue so being the parent that I was, I said, well, you know, you have a choice. You can either respond to this issue with you doing what I consider to be the right thing, or you can face a consequence. At that point, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, you're a monster. And I said, baby, if it means that you're safe, and that you're taken care of. I will be a monster every day of the week. People who see Christ as a stumbling stone very easily could view him as a monster. The conversations that we have sometimes with people who are not believers can be incredible. And one of the first things that we find with people who do not believe at given points in time is that they are falling over the stone that is Christ. In the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, there are three different religions that consider that to be holy ground. Three major, the three major religions in this country consider the Temple Mount to be holy ground. If you don't know what those religions are, the Islam, the Muslim religion, their Christianity, and their Judaism. And what we find with that is that they all consider 
the Temple Mount to be holy ground for very different reasons. They considered the Temple Mount to be holy ground if you're a Christian because that is where the temple, the first temple was erected. That's also where the tabernacle was. So when Solomon erected the first temple, we hold that to be holy ground because that is where we met Christ. I mean, that is where we met God for the first time. Because, see, what they considered to be holiness was being in the proximity, being physically in relationship with God. And for the Jews, the same thing's true. The Muslim folk, they consider that to be holy ground because they see that as the site where Abraham offered up Ishmael. Ishmael, well, you, you guys get me. Um, as a sacrifice. And so instead of Isaac, they say that it was his brother that was actually offered up instead. Currently, we see that there is this hotly debated topic of the Temple Mount being the possession of Muslims right now. The Jewish folk are not happy about that. Because to them, the third temple will come back. And for all three of these groups, the stumbling point is Christ. It's not God. It's Christ. That's where they disagree. If you were to talk purely about God, and you could probably have a conversation with about 60 to 70 percent of the people in the world. But when we talk about Christ and the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the light, then all of a sudden that conversation has a tendency to cease. I direct you folks to Romans chapter 1. I would like to start reading in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and, righteous, and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they know God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and the foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served creatures rather than the Creator, 
who is blessed forever. Amen. We know the truth and we've been blessed. We know the truth and we've been blessed. And yes, at a level we can face persecution. And yes, at a level we will face adversity. And yes, at a level we will struggle. But the truth of it is, is that in our worst day in Christ, it's still better than the best day without him. And there is no excuse, not one, for us to not move, not mobilize, not seek those around us because we know what the truth is. It has been truly exciting to see um, Vision 2020 take off, to see it erected, to listen to Thane and Eric come before us and talk about the campaign, the progress that they've made. But I've got to tell you folks, over and over again, the thing I love about what they say most is that it's not about a building. What we see in these four verses, in First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, is that we are the church. I know we've said it time and time again. We've said it to each other in passing, but we are the church. And we are the church because of our faith in Christ. There is no other way that we can be what we need to be. And so as we move forth, preferably into a new building, the thing that we must remember and keep in our back of our minds is that if that building were not to come to pass, if God does not move us in that direction at the last hour, we still are the church. The thing that we see in these verses is that Peter is encouraging these persecuted people, these people who have nothing no reason to move forth, that could sit and have a pity party all day long because of what has transpired against them. He's encouraging them to get up and move. He can look them in the eye in, in empathy, say to them, I understand where you are. And I can appreciate that. But we are not living for this world. We are not citizens of this place. We are aliens. And so as aliens, what we understand about human nature is, is that people fear and despise what is not like them. They fear it. And so in kind, how do we react? The hope is that when we have an opportunity, that we will react in love, that we will react in compassion. The hope is that the Spirit will control us and guide us to what we need to do. That we will do the two things that God has called all believers to do. The first thing is, is to repent. Contritely repent. And the second thing is to be obedient. 
Because as we do those two things, we leave ourselves open to be vessels for the usage of God. And ultimately, is that not our call? Is that not our heart? There are times in our lives um, when we feel like we are not holy. And as believers, we struggle a little bit. And as we get up in the morning and we feel broken, we feel maybe weak, sinful. And we may even consider it to be hypocritical to go out and share Christ with people when we do not feel it, when we do not see it. But then I take you back to the definition of faith that's in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. That's when God intervenes in our lives and he says, it's not about you. That's when he grips us and he says, faith is not about you believing in yourself. Faith is about you believing in me. And if I have told you that by the blood of my son, you are holy, then get up and move. If you feel like you are not gifted and talented enough to do what I have called you to do, then understand I am your God. I would love to be your friend, but first and foremost, I am your God. And in being your God, I am your perfect provision. The strength that you need for your life is in me. The call that you need to find to move forward is in me. I've given you a cornerstone to rest in. I've given you the foundation of the building that is my church. But please understand as you are a part of the greater church, you also are individually my temple. See, the church in many ways is akin to the body. And as the body is made up of many cells, individual cells, cells that have lives of their own that can come together and you scientists in the room, you tell me if I'm wrong. But as cells come together to form the body, so those individual temples come together to form the church. Peter is calling these persecuted people to the responsibility that they have in the gospel. And I find myself at this point looking at a bunch of beautiful, gifted people who are on the verge, the cusp of moving into a community and impacting it greatly. I believe wholeheartedly that God has given us an opportunity in this new building that will be erected to reach people because the people will see the shiny building, but we know what's inside of it. We are the church. And so I ask those people come to that shiny building 
And you know what the most amazing part about this is, is that as I looked through the Bible and did all this research, you know, we, we, we find that, that Paul talks about all the glorious things that are used in the construction of the temple. What I find is that God takes those broken things, us, me, takes broken me and he puts me in front of you. And he says that like Peter, I am a stone in the church. I'm a stone in his temple. Me. Me who comes from a broken background with a single mother, with a father he never knew. Me. Me who struggles daily with confidence. Me. He uses me. To close, Peter's um, point in these verses is that the gospel is where we should be seeking our strength and our provision, as I've mentioned before. Um, the verses that reaffirm this are Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. What we find um, in these verses is that they are very inspirational and they set a tone for us in regards to our expectations about what exactly the church is. As I mentioned before, pastor did an excellent job last week of setting the tone about where we need to be, what our requirements are as Christians. How do we keep ourselves fueled? And it's in being in the milk that is God's word that feeds us constantly. Without that, we start to fall away. We start to wither. We start to lose our passion. This process has been such a blessing for me because of the fact that I was in God's word so much that by the time I got done, I had so much in my head, I couldn't begin to tell you where I was. Whittling it down was a challenge. And I was so on fire. Everyone I spoke to, I may have spoke to some of you. I know poor Sue sat there on Friday listening to me talk. I think I preached the whole thing to her. The whole thing about that was she was so nice about it. She said, Kenny, I got you. I understand. She said, I have Tim and Nick. I'm with you. I was so on fire. After this week, it wasn't even funny. And my prayer constantly was is that I would just move out of the way and it would just get translated. And it would come to you the way God was giving it to me and that you would be blessed in the same way that I was. The question at the end of the day is why can't I be like that all the time? Why can't I feel that way all the time? There are moments in my life where I get so wrapped up in me that I forget that I have a Savior whose yoke is light and burden is easy. I have a Savior who has me, who has me. And what I mean by that is that he loves me, he cares for me. Why wouldn't I want to share that every single moment of the day? Why wouldn't I look at any the toiling and striving and straining and pressing not as a burden, but 
but as my love offering. My spiritual sacrifice, as Romans 12 once said, my spiritual sacrifice is this. This is what I have. I love you, Lord. Take this. Take it, please. And take whatever else you can give from me. Whatever else you can get from me, take it. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what I found myself wanting to do was to hold on to the pacifier of my sins instead of feeding on the provision of God's milk. In the past, I've called the podium my binky because when I have it, it makes me feel more comfortable being in front of you. I think it slims me. I'm not sure. But ultimately, what I find myself struggling with is why do I need a binky when I have a Savior? Am I dealing with sin in my life? Am I dealing with those things that would cause there to be some type of issue, some type of blockage between myself and my Savior? Are you? Because if you are, learn from me. Learn from me. Remove it. Let your sin come to light. Because there is a whole community, a whole city, a whole state, a whole country who needs to hear the gospel. But if we are bringing sin into God's house, if we are bringing sin into his temple, he cannot bear us. He cannot bear us. And this is not to convict anyone. This is not to point a finger. I am the first one, first one that will stand before you and say it has to be, has to be done. And it needs to start with me. As I mentioned before, I am God's temple. And as I am created in his image, as Genesis has said, the thing that I sometimes struggle with is I want to be my own God. I cannot serve two masters. I can't. God is blessing Big Woods. He's moving us. He's putting us in position as we speak to impact this community. Let's clean house. Let's get it open. The sins that we feel like we're dealing with right now, let's just get them out in the open and let's clean this house. Let's get to work. Because, see, one of the things that's going to happen is that God's going to take what's God's, and he's going to do it with or without us. And that's what Peter is saying at the end of the day. Peter knows. Peter was there. Peter knows that Jesus didn't need him. He tried many times to step in and help. And every time he did, what happened? He messed up. He messed up. Stand on God's word. Live in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just again thank you so much for um, giving us the opportunity to come before your throne, Lord. Um, we thank you for the fact that your plan is yours. Uh, it's such a blessing to, um, to have your word before us, Lord, and to understand that... Um, 
for as much as you've given us in our lives. All you call for is for us to love you, obey you, and realize that those two things need not be separated, Father, but they should go hand in hand. Lord, I just pray that you would be with those who are teaching um, the Bible classes today, Lord. As we go into Bible community, Father, I just um, think of the pastors and the churches that are being held at the same time as us, Lord. I just pray that you would bless those folks in their preparation, that you would continue to um, encourage and bless our own praise team and everyone else who have a hand in the service, Lord. I pray that you would be with our pastor and give him rest as he is away, Lord, um, that he would come back rejuvenated. And Father, I just pray... um, most and foremost, um, that you would um, continue to pull us to. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray with great thanksgiving. Amen. Kenny, would you uh